Welcome. Welcome, guys. Welcome to The Collective. If you're new here, if you're exploring Christianity, uh, my name is Ben Hilson. I'm the Young Adults Pastor here at Village Church. And um, as we were doing pre-service prayer, um, what did I say? Did I say it right? Pre-service prayer? Uh, I was really just amping. I'm just ready to just communicate what God put on my heart uh, tonight. And my heart, honestly, was just just being warm to the presence of God who is, who's in this room uh, tonight. And I'm just coming expectant to see what he wants to do in this place, how he wants to speak to you individually. And um, what we did last couple of weeks ago uh, at our kickoff is we started talking about what we wanted to see this community become. And as I was uh, thinking about what I wanted to do this fall with you guys as a young adult community, uh, I had one idea, and two weeks out, God just totally changed that idea up. And we kind of just have stumbled into a series, and a series, if you will, where we're kind of working through the mission statement of our group, our young adult community. And that mission statement is this, that we want to be a young adult community joining God in his renewal of the world through the gospel. We want to be a young adult community joining God in his renewal of the world through the gospel. And if you don't know what that means, that's totally fine. We're going to be unpacking it. Uh, but what we did to start unpacking it was we started talking about what kind of young adult community we want to be. What's going to differentiate ourselves from all the other communities out there, specifically young adults? And that was uh, two things. And the leadership team and a lot of you in the room stood visually to respond that you would make this happen, that you would make, first and foremost, this community uh, become a community that is devoted to Jesus and each other. Devoted to Jesus and each other. And secondly, that we would be a community marked by our radical love for one another and the world. And we're going to see that happen. It's going to take time. It's going to take a lot of time. But I, I know it's going to happen as me and you patiently work together to see that happen week in and week out. But with that, the whole talk last uh, time, setting up what we wanted this community to be, was kind of like a 10,000-foot view of this community at, a, at large, at a massive scale. And tonight, really, what I want to do is focus in a more of a microscopic level, more get into the weeds of what those individual relationships look like, what those one-on-one -on -one relationships look like in this type of community. Paul, a guy that wrote the majority of what we know as the New Testament, the latter half of your Bible, um, he writes about this to a church in Galatia, and the book is called Galatians. That's where we're going to be at, Galatians 5, 26 uh, to 6, 5. And Galatians 5, 26 to 6, 5 just unpacks all these things, all these principles when it comes to, to relating to one another. So I'm going to read it, we're going to pray, and we're going to see what God wants to do uh, tonight. So Galatians 5, 26, if you're there, I'm going to read it. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, I just come before you, and I just surrender everything to you tonight. On behalf of these young adults here, God, we cry out to you. We come wanting to interact with you. We, want coming, we come wanting to experience you. We want coming, come here wanting to hear from you, God. And God, in the stillness, in the moments between when I'm talking, as we're worshiping, as we go into prayer, as we take communion together, God, I pray that you would speak. I believe that you have a particular message for each and every one of us in this room. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you would give us attentiveness, God, that you would allow us to be tuned into your spirit. And we pray, God, that everything is, that is said and done in this place would bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. So, to understand what's happening here in this short passage, um, in the church in Galatia, there's a lot of conflict going on. So you have Jews who are Christians and you have non-Jews who are Christians kind of coming and butting heads around different subjects. And we all know that. Community is messy, right? Especially when you bring a bunch of people from different backgrounds, with different values, uh, from different upbringings. It's going to get messy. And we all believe this. Like, we all want to belong. We all want to be part of community. But the thing is, it's never easy. It's never um, just going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to take work. It's going to take work sometimes in the sense of at an individual level, but also at a bigger, larger level. And Paul, what he's doing here in these verses is he's trying to give them some principles to run with when it comes to relating to one another. But there's actually one principle tonight that I want to unpack with us, that I want to hone in on, and that's in verse 2, where Paul says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law. But before we unpack that, I want to say this. Okay, I think sometimes coming into a community, coming into a group like this, a lot of us have unrealistic expectations. Not everybody in this room is going to be your best friend. I'm not going to be your best friend, okay? Because none of us have that sort of capacity. If you look at everybody that's in this room tonight, none of us have that sort of capacity, okay? Jesus didn't even have that capacity. He had 12 guys that he rolled with. Within that 12, there was three that he's really close with. And with that three, within that three, there was one guy that we, he would call his homeboy, if you will. You know, he had that ride together, die together type of relationship with that one guy, okay? So straight up, from the get-go, all of us, I don't expect all of us to be best friends, okay? But I do believe, I do pray, I hope that you at least find one person in this room that you have this type of relationship that I'm about to unpack. Hopefully maybe two or three, but at least one. But with that, we are definitely going to be a community that moves to move to be more than just acquaintances. And I'm going to explain that in a second. But to bear one another's burdens is this, okay? Um, in my own words, is to have this mindset in our relationships and friendships, that your struggle is my struggle. That your struggle is my struggle. I'm coming alongside you. Whatever is burdening you, whatever is stressing you out, whatever is causing you anxiety, I'm going to come alongside you 
and help you through that situation, to help you with whatever that thing is. But before any of you are like, okay, I'm in, let's do that. I'm ready to bear one another's burdens or whatever. Let me explain that. Let me explain what Paul is actually talking about. What he is talking about when it comes to bearing one another's burdens is actually stepping into somebody else's suffering. Stepping into somebody else's pain in a way that you actually step into suffering yourself. Get that? Like picture this for a second, okay? Somebody's struggling with something really heavy. If you're a good friend, you wouldn't just walk up to him, put your arm around him, pat him on the back, and encourage him as he tries to lift whatever, uh, lift whatever that heavy thing is. You know, a refrigerator, these speakers. A lot of the times, you know what I do? When these guys ask me to lift these speakers, I just pretend I'm lifting them, and actually all the other guys are praying most of the way. But you don't do that, right? If you're a true friend, I'm not, obviously. I'm horrible. Hopefully, by God's grace, he would heal my heart. Anyways. But you don't do that. What you do is you actually come alongside the guys if they ask you to pick up these speakers and you bear the weight in a sense that you take some of the weight off of them onto yourself. You allow the weight to slide onto you. But this is what Paul is talking about when it comes to bearing one another's burdens. What does that look like real life? Um, my friend... Some of you guys know him. Chris Demania, who's a campus pastor at North, actually modeled this out for me this week. And we were talking about a mutual friend who has just been diagnosed with a rare disease. And uh, he was in our community group. I don't go to that community group anymore. But Chris is still in that community group. And he has to go to the hospital about, I don't know, uh, a bunch of times during the year for about three hours to allow an IV to drip into his arm while he gets the medication he needs for this rare disease. And this is what my friend uh, Chris Demonier did. He said, next time you go to the hospital, text me. Text me because I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to hang out with you in that hospital room for three hours and we're just going to have a good time. And as soon as he said that, I was thinking about this passage and I was like, okay, that's what it looks like to bear one another's burdens. Because come on, how many of you guys actually want to go and hang out at a hospital, right? That's like the worst place in the world. I remember I had to go in to go wait for like a piece of glass that my wife had in her foot and it took like five hours to just to see somebody. Like who goes to the hospital, right? Talk about dying from boredom. But this guy, Chris, understands understands, okay, understands, that wasn't a joke, I don't know what was so funny, but uh, <laughs> next time, okay, that he understands that in order to be a true friend, to bear one another's burdens, he actually has to enter into that person's suffering. Your struggle is my struggle, bear one another's burden. He's literally entering into the suffering of his friend. Why? Because that's what a true friend is. That's true friendship. Proverbs 18, 24 puts it like this. A man uh, of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend, get this, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Simply that means a friend stays with you through thick and thin. They get so close to you, get so close in relationship to you that they allow your hurt to become their hurt. Sometimes in a way where they get hurt themselves, where maybe sometimes, not intentionally, you end up hurting them. You know, I have a friend, 
and I've known him since like grade five, and we like grew up together. And we grew up uh, going to high school, we went to Trinity Western, and we made some huge mistakes together. But early in my t- early 20s, when I got into ministry, um, he kind of got more into the drug scene. And he started dealing drugs and all this stuff. And I still befriended him. He still came over to my house. But slowly, as time went by, as I started having kids, uh, we stopped hanging out. I'd still text him. I'd still Facebook message him and all that kind of stuff. I wanted him to know that I would be there for him. And sure enough, in our mid-25, uh, 25, 26, somewhere around, somewhere around there, um, he reached out to me. And he kind of reached a bottom, a rock bottom, uh, so to speak, and he, he wanted help. And he grew up in the church, so he knew he could reach out to me to get some counseling, to get some help. And so he came into uh, my office, and I, I, I led him to our senior pastor's office, and we started talking about what he was going through. Um, uh, he admitted that he had an addiction that he needed help with, and we gave him some advice, and uh, we, we prayed for him. And I can, I can remember it so clearly. As we were praying for him, God was just doing something. I can't explain it, but he was just doing something in this guy's life as we were praying for him. And not only was he just crying, which I took as, you know, tears of repentance, uh, uh, and that he was just coming to terms with what is going on in his life and that he wasn't following Jesus. But after we finished praying, um, just something, like his eyes just like kind of cleared up, like they were just bright all of a sudden. And it wasn't just because of his crying. I'm telling you, like, when he walked in, uh, he just looked, like, so bad. Bloodshot eyes, like, just in the worst condition I've ever seen him. And something took place. And I honestly thought that this was the moment where he was going to turn his life around. Fast forward to the next day. I get, like, this long Facebook message from him where he rips apart my career, he rips apart my family, he rips apart my church, he rips apart my senior pastor. Uh, he tells me that I tried to trick him, I tried to uh, recruit him, all these things that he accuses me of. And I took a moment, yeah, and I was kind of pissed. But I took a moment and I asked God, how do you want me to respond to this? And here's my friend, I've been friends with him for, I don't know, almost 20 years probably. I was like, okay, so how do you want me to respond to this guy? And all I wrote was, hey, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But I love you, bro. I'm your friend. Even if you don't want to be my friend, I'm still going to be your friend. And I'm there for you anytime, anywhere, if you still need help. And he responded in a good way. But the thing was, I had to walk through that pain in order to truly represent what it looks like to be a true friend to this person. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, he puts it like this. True friendship, in true friendship, there's always this constancy. This commitment that you're there through thick or thin. You stay with your friend no matter what. That's what it looks like to carry one another's burdens. And I could go on and give you example after example. Yeah, maybe it's not emotional. Maybe it's not physical burdens that you're going to have to carry. Maybe it's not actually entering into someone's pain, but maybe it's financial burdens. Maybe you go along somebody in a way where you take that burden financially away from them somehow, some way. And I say burden because, like, as young adults, not a lot of us have a bunch of excess money lying around. I'm not sure about you, but I certainly don't. One time there was this guy, and he was helping me out. And I just had this sense that God wanted me to help him out financially, even though I didn't really have anything to give him. 
And uh, sure enough, he, he got an iPhone, and he thought he was going to get a job and everything like that. Uh, but he didn't. And it was stressing him out because he wasn't sure how he was going to pay for this iPhone that he thought that he was going to get a job and everything, but it wasn't working out. And God just put it on my heart to just pay for this guy's iPhone without even telling him. In that moment, I'm like, I don't even know where I'm going to get this type of money. My family was definitely strapped for cash at that time. This was a bunch of years ago. But I did it. I did it. Why? Because I wanted to be a true friend to this guy. So in that moment, I took that stress that he was feeling to pay off that iPhone, and I took it upon myself. Why? Because I wanted to be obedient. I wanted to show him what a true friend looks like. And I knew, I knew with all my heart that God was going to provide for me some way, somehow. That's true friendship. And if you don't have anybody in your life that in some way acts like that towards you, you guys aren't friends. You're actually just acquaintances. But to experience that true friendship, it's going to take one thing. In order to see that happen here in this community at the collective, it's going to require you to be vulnerable. Paul alludes to this in verse 1. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. First, what is he talking about? You who are spiritual, who's he talking to? Well, he's talking to anybody in the room that calls themselves Christians. He's talking to anybody in the room that's given their life to Jesus, who has the Holy Spirit working in them, working through them. That's who he's talking to. He's not talking to some crazy, super mature believer in the church. He's talking to all of us as Christians. And here's the scenario. If anyone is caught in any transgression, meaning any sin whatsoever, be it sexual, relational, uh, attitudes, gossip, you, can, you name it. If anybody is caught in sin, and when he says caught, mean, meaning like he's trapped, he knows that he cannot get out of it without somebody else's help. If you see anybody in that type of situation and you call yourself a friend, you're supposed to move towards them in a way that helps them out of that situation. And just so we're clear, I know some of us think that we're really good at this. This isn't going around in a judgmental tone, in a judgmental spirit, pointing out people's sins, gossiping about one another behind each other's backs, talking about that girl who slept with that guy or this guy who just parties really hard on the weekend and calls himself a Christian. That's not what he's talking about here. That's actually approaching this person, whoever it is, caught up in transgression, caught up in sin, and trying to restore them with a spirit of judgment. And that's what the church gets called out for all the time, that we're just like this really judgmental community. My friend who wrote me that long uh, Facebook message, that's what he was calling me out on. That's what he was accusing me of. No, a spirit of gentleness looks totally different. And there's a key to being able to move towards somebody with a spirit of gentleness. And it's, it, Paul says it here, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You need to realize, okay, you need to realize in this deep way that you're just another sinner saved by grace. You're just another sinner that's messed up, that's rebelled against God, that's saved by grace. Maybe you're not struggling with that same sin that the person across the road is struggling with, but that has nothing to do with you, that has nothing to do with your willpower, that has nothing to do with your strength. That's just God's grace on your life, not allowing you to go down that path. 
not allowing to struggle with the same things that that person's struggling with. And you need to get a great revelation of this in order to move towards someone with a spirit of gentleness. You know, God, that, God did that for me drastically. He showed me that drastically. He revealed that to me in a drastic way. And I say that because I grew up in a good Christian home. My parents, uh, my dad's a pastor. Okay, so I thought I was a good Christian kid. I wasn't that bad. You know, I didn't really do bad things. Sure, I went to a party here and there. Uh, sure, I got into trouble, pranked some people, did all those kind of things that you do in high school, right? But I wasn't that bad of a kid. And then all of a sudden, I was 19. I found myself like just really um, just partying really hard on the weekends and living this life that was not equivalent to what you would live uh, when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. And the bottom of bottom was when I found myself down uh, in Seattle when I was 19 with four of my close buddies at the time. Well, I thought they were my buddies. And uh, we went to one of my friend's house who lived down there and we got super drunk. Then we went downtown. And then we were just kind of wandering around the streets downtown, and uh, we went into a strip club, and then we went down this dark alley, and I was so drunk, I didn't even know what was going on. And my buddies just uh, bought some drugs from this random dude. And I was sitting in the car, and luckily I was so drunk that I didn't snort whatever they just bought. And the driver snorted it, and the passenger snorted it. And we were, like, just driving back home, and all of a sudden, this cop comes right next to my buddy. And he's going the opposite direction, and so he, he stops. So driver window to driver window, and he starts chatting up the driver, who is just super high off of whatever he's snorted right now, super drunk. And I just had this, like, this moment where I was like, what am I doing? And this cop just was talking and interrogating the driver, and uh, luckily, the only reason that he was doing all of that was because our headlight was out. And he was giving us such a hard time. And he drove away. And in that moment, it just hit me. I was like, where am I? How did I get to this point where I'm so messed up? I don't know what's going on. I call myself a Christian, so to speak. And that whole time, uh, that whole ride home, it was about two hours or something like that. I was just praying. See, we need to realize that we all are sinners saved by grace. That we all have that propensity to sin. We can all find ourselves in a similar situation as a friend that's going through something really hard right now. As a person that you might not know so well, but you're totally judging them on, from the outside, what, what you see from the outside. See, gently means, the spirit of gentleness, means you do it humbly. You're not seeing yourself as better than the other person, but you see yourself as an equal. And this is what it looks like to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, this word restore, back in the original language, um, it actually is a term that was used uh, to, when it came to setting a dislocated bone in place. Okay? So it was the same term that was used to setting a dislocated bone in place. Like, anybody have that friend? I don't know, sometimes you get this one friend that always, like, dislocates something. I had one of those friends growing up. And sure enough, we'd be playing whatever, sport, anything, skateboarding, and all of a sudden his like, shoulder would pop out of place. That was what always got dislocated. 
And he'd be like screaming in pain and agony. And then sure enough, one of our buddies, because we got used to this, would help him like pop it back in place on a wall or something like that. And he'd be totally fine. He'd just join back in the game and keep playing as if nothing happened, right? And in that moment, like in that process, there is pain, but it's pain that leads to healing. So picture that, right? A dislocated bone being put back in place, this process that uh, includes pain. In the same way to restore someone, it will require you to approach them, probably in, in an uncomfortable moment, probably brings a little bit of tension to that relationship. But we need to do that as Christians. See, we need to stop having this mentality is like, oh, well, that's their business. It's not mine. They're fine. They'll deal with it. No, if we're actually true friends, if we're carrying one another's burdens, if we're looking to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness, we go into those situations where we see our sin caught up in sin, needing help, and we try to restore them. Not in a judgmental way, not in a way that we look down on them, not in the way that we bring condemnation and guilt and um, all those types of things, but in a way where Yeah, sure, there's going to probably be some pain in the process, but our goal is healing. Our goal is to restore them into the relationship with God and others in the community. But it will take vulnerability. Why? Because if you approach a person and you call out their sin and they're really immature, they might not like you anymore. They might cut off the relationship. They might call you judgmental, even if you're not judgmental. That's what you're risking in that moment. That's what it means to be vulnerable. And at the same time, you're vulnerable because if it works, if it works, if that person actually picks up on what you're saying, takes it to heart, and the relationship is restored, you just have given them permission to call you out on sin. If and when, when when you fall into sin. You're giving them permission And I don't know about you, but naturally I'm selfish and I don't like putting myself in a situation where other people can pick me apart, pick apart my faults, criticize me. You know, the worst thing uh, that happens to me is when I ask, when I go up to my wife and I ask her to criticize my sermon. I'm like, why do I do this to myself, okay? Because obviously she's going to be super honest with me. That's how a relationship works. And she picks apart every single thing, like every word that I mispronounce, and I, I know, like, you know, I slur my words together and all that. I told her, I told her, like, I'm not good at this. I don't know why God's called me to speak, because sometimes I don't even know how to pronounce words with R's. Those are the toughest words for me, seriously. I'm back here doing, like, alliteration exercises before I, I come out on stage, the ragged, rugged rock, blah, 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 you know, those lines. Anyways, and I put myself in that situation, because, like, I want to get better, but it's hard. I'm making myself vulnerable. I'm, I'm allowing myself to be transparent with her for a moment. But here's the thing. If we want to see that happen, if we want to see those relationships grow into a deep place, we got to put ourselves out there like that. And the only reason I can do that, the only reason I can befriend people like this is because of the grace of God, but it's because I don't look inside myself to find courage, to find strength. But I've realized, I've come to a place where my identity is found in Christ. I have nothing to prove. You could rip me apart. It doesn't matter. I know where I stand when it comes to God. 
And Paul puts it like this. He talks about this in verse 3 and 4. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So my paraphrase, we don't have time to unpack this. I don't think I'm anything. I don't think that, you know, I'm hot stuff or whatever you want to call it because that's deceiving myself. But at the same time, I can boast. Why can I boast? Because of what Jesus has done for me because of who I am in Christ, because I know that God looks down at me right now in this moment before I even stepped on this stage, before I even preached this message to you, and he looks at me as his beloved son in whom he's well pleased. Even in my sin. Because yes, I've given my life to Jesus, but sure, I still struggle with sin. And here's the beauty of it. See, when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, right, we do this, we get the power to do this, Paul says, with these words right here, fulfill the law of Christ, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ for the sake of time. This is what he's talking about, okay? There's no new law. There's no new law that replaces this ancient law, this mosaic law that this culture would have known that we know as the Ten Commandments. No. There wasn't a law. There was something better than a law. There was a person. His name was Jesus. And he gave us the example of what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. See, he gave us the example of what it looks like to carry one another's burdens. He came to this earth. He put on flesh and bone like me and you. And not only did he help us with the weight of our sin, he took it on himself to the point that he allowed it to crush him on the cross. Isaiah 53 puts it like this. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. He was crushed. Why? Again, Tim Keller says it like this. Because he was the ultimate friend. He was the ultimate friend. And by doing this for the human race, he bore the sins of the world. He took the punishment and judgment upon himself so that we can walk in this freedom. We can walk with this new identity. When we turn from our sins and give our lives to Jesus, we could be restored when it comes to our relationship with God. That's how we get the power to act as friends in this way that Paul is talking about in this passage. That's why when we work, we walk in these relationships, we can restore people with a spirit of gentleness because we have nothing to prove. I'm not comparing myself to you because I'll, I already know who I am. I don't need to prove myself to you. See, this is where we get the power to walk into relationships willingly and take on somebody else's suffering. This is where we get the power to be vulnerable, transparent with one another in this room, even if we don't know each other that well. This is where we get the power to not be scared of calling somebody else out on their sin, knowing that we have good intentions. We want to see them in a healthy place when it comes to the relationship with God and the community. And God reminded me of this. He reminded me of how patient he was with me. You want to be able to easily move toward a person and restore them with the spirit of gentleness? Just think about Jesus' patience when it comes to you and your life and your struggles and your sin. And as we close, I want, I want to read this for you guys. 
And it was uh, just a reminder in one of my devotionals that I, I read. And uh, this guy named Joe Thorne, he writes this. The Lord is patient with you. He's not merely withholding deserved punishment, but he's giving you time to repent, to seek him in humility and faith. He's not tolerating you, but lovingly calling you to himself. And were it not for his patience, you would neither come to him nor learn from him. For even your growing in faith requires a lot of time. He's patient to teach you all you need to know. That's a good thing, since you are often slow to learn. Have you ever learned anything immediately? No, but the Lord is faithful to continually teach you, convict you, and lead you in that way. But don't misunderstand his patience. God, uh, God, it's not that he simply has a long fuse. He isn't overlooking your sin. He remains patient toward you because justice has been satisfied. God's wrath against sin is settled. Therefore, his patience toward you is leading you to continue in repentance from sin and reliance on his grace. Do not ignore his patience. Do not delay in your response to his love and faithfulness. The time he has given you is time to turn to him, to know him, and to worship him in spirit and in truth. Some of you tonight need to respond to that call. Some of you know that you need to give your life fully to him. Others of you in the room, I want to leave you with these two questions as we move into a time of worship and prayer. And it's this. You ask yourself this. Is there a habitual sin you need to gently restore a brother or sister from? Is there a habitual sin you need to gently restore a brother or sister from? A situation that you might be avoiding. Are you willing, are you willing to listen to others who seek to restore you? And lastly, what opportunities has God given you to carry another's burden? What opportunities has God given you to carry another's burden? See, I believe human friendship, when it comes to bearing one another's burdens, is how God created us to function. You know, you see all these passages in the Bible talking about God wanting you to give him your burdens, to give him your anxiety, to give him your anxious thoughts. And the thing about community, I think he, he has designed it in a way that when it comes to carrying one another's burdens, that is actually God taking that burden from you also. So with that, let, let's pray. And I don't know how exactly you need to respond tonight, but I just get this sense earlier today as I was praying over this message that some of you need to seek out reconciliation in this room tonight. So let's stand, let's pray. God, I thank you that you're working in this place tonight. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your patience. I thank you for your love. I thank you that you are our good shepherd. I thank you that we're following you and whatever you're asking us to do, whatever you're calling us to do, I pray that you would give us the courage, that you would give us the grace, that you would give us the strength through your spirit to move in obedience. Be it towards that person to seek out reconciliation. Be it toward that person to, to restore them in a the spirit of gentleness, to help them because they're caught up in whatever that sin is. Maybe it is 
to go and ask for forgiveness because we actually haven't been a true friend to a person that we call ourselves a friend to. So God, I ask that your spirit would just work in this place in a mighty way. That healing would occur in our hearts that we might be able to humble ourselves we realize that we all are just sinners saved by grace and just respond, respond in worship, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' name, amen.